Welcome to Cerebronas. This is a chiquita episode, meaning a short episode we're doing while we come back with a full episode. For our first chiquita episode, Cynthia and I are going to interview each other. We've received a few emails and comments from folks asking us more about who we are, and so we wanted to take this space to share with you all. Um, if this is something that you're not interested in, then you can just skip this episode and come back to listen in October when we'll have our regular episodes up. We won't be offended. We mean that. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, I'd be a little offended, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I should have used the eye. My bad. <laughs> All right. Okay. So I'll start us off asking Yvette some questions and... Yvette, I just wanted to start with, you know, you have a lot of things, I think, in your life that you've conveyed that you you're really proud of and that you love. So can you just talk to us first? Like, what are you proudest of? This is a hard question to answer, but I think one one of the first things that comes to mind is is something that like people might not necessarily think would be the first thing that would come to my mind, but being like, I think for a long time, my process of going through the school system was really marked by having these certain types of external validation that made me feel worthy and made me feel like I was worthy of, of love and that I was a valuable person. Um, and then I went to Yale and that kind of, that propensity towards that type of thinking only increased, I would say in a very unhealthy way. And for a long time, I like, I would say I was devoting like 90% of my waking hours to these goals that I had. And oftentimes it was kind of unclear why I had the goals that I had. And upon further reflection, like, Looking back on it now, I think a lot of it was that I was just doing what other people expected me to do. I was just like accumulating these gold stars that I could put on my resume um, and really just like out of a desire to be respected. And then I think after graduating from Yale, I began this journey of of being nicer to myself and and in, in terms of letting myself do like what I actually want to do, and it's still a process because I think being at Stanford has actually regressed that journey for ways in ways that I assume like people can imagine or they can think of why. Um, but I think that I'm still in a much healthier place than I used to be in undergrad, and I have given myself the freedom to devote time to projects that I really care about, like this podcast for sure included. Um, but then the other thing I think about also, and yeah. So the other thing that I think about also is that um, when I was an undergrad, I received these two awards, like the Rosa Dorada Award and the Yale Latino Alumni Award. Um, and it's, those are given to seniors who have most contributed or have provided the most service to the Yale Latinx community and to the New Haven Latinx community. Um, and then there was like this other award that I was also a finalist for that was chosen that was like had the same type of criteria or it was that one was more about like public service in general but that one was chosen by administrators 
And I ended up, and the other two that I just mentioned were voted on by, by students and by, yeah, by, by other students. And I felt, students and alumni, and I felt like it gave me pride that the, it was people in my community that were saying that I had provided excellent service and that I had given back because I think that, you know, like no tea, no shade, but a thing that's chosen by administrators is oftentimes about like who's best at making their work the most public or who's, who's best at networking administrators or who's best at like making a name for themselves in the public sphere. But it's not necessarily like the people that have most impacted the communities that they care about. And so it, I don't know, it just made me feel like, damn, like, I'm the real deal, like, people respect me, and the work that I do doesn't go unnoticed by the people that I care about most. Yvette, I find that answer so interesting because I think several times during our podcast, you've talked about how people are nuanced and complex, and I think your answer, like, you just proved that again, because on the one hand, the first thing you're proudest of is that process of, like, detaching yourself from the gold stars, but on the other hand, the other something else you're proudest of are those, you know, two very important and significant gold stars. Yeah, I mean, I just, I feel like in very few instances is something either or. Like, I'm and I and I think also like it's not like I don't. I just I think I want to prioritize the, the people like gaining respect from people that I actually care about because I think mm, one of the th- yeah. one of the things that most bothered me or one of the things that I, that was most wrong about what my old mentality was is that I was frequently trying to get respect from people who like actually like oh I don't even respect their politics or I don't even like I don't really think of themselves as a movement person you know I don't really think of them as yeah. a movement person and I just think that it's it's not like oh like I totally disregard what people think because I think it's a very human thing to care about what other people think. I, I think it's like good to ha- cultivate self-love and kind of know, know your worth apart from what other people say, but also like humans are interdependent. And so, yeah. and like what I, what I liked about those awards, like I said, was that they were voted by on by the community. And I think that's like, that's the best type of validation that you could get. You know, it's like, because those are the people that I care about. Like, those are the people that I respect. And so it means so much more to me that they would vote as opposed to an administrator. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I imagine for like these awards, you know, you're saying they're based on service to a community and all that. And I just knowing you from law school, I see how busy you are. I see how involved you are in a lot of things. But what's what's motivating you to be so involved, to be so giving, you know, just in your day-to-day what's motivating all of that I think I don't I think like at different time periods in my life I've been motivated by different things like I think like I was saying earlier when I was younger I was motivated a lot by whether or not there's going to be some tangible type of validation at the end of what I was doing but having moved away from that I feel like what unifies that past person with who I am now is that I have I just have this drive to grow and be better all the time like I want to live the fullest life possible I want to live a really interesting and dynamic life and it I think I'm kind of 
I'm just very aware of the fact that our time here is limited and I want to live an intentional life. And so I just think what motivates me is like the desire to become my most fully realized self, to have reached my fullest potential possible. Yeah, so I hear you talking about your motivation and your growth grounded in you and, and measured by you and your full potential. But is there another direction that you visualize your growth? Another direction that I visualize it? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you mean? Like, when you see what full potential, do you have an idea what full potential would look like for you? Um, hmm. Or, would you, or will you know when you're at your full potential by the way you feel? I don't think so. I mean, I think... Like, I think I feel, I feel like my most fully realized self now than I feel more realized now than I did before. But I think it's always a process, like in the same way that become, you know, like being woke or unlearning your oppression is always a process. I think growing is always a process. And that's actually just helped me feel a lot better about life because I used to be so anxious that I wasn't at the right place, that I hadn't Mm. done everything at the right time period and that I was behind And I don't really think that way anymore because whatever I'm doing at the moment is what I was meant to be doing. And as as long as I have, as long as I I as long as I can go to sleep at night feeling like you know what I gave a hundred percent today, or like whatever percentage was the most possible that I could give that day, given my mental health and energy, like I I am proud of myself. That's all that I want is like to go to sleep every day feeling like you know I really did the most that I could do today. That's really awesome. I, you know, I really hear you on that. And I think that's something I definitely strive for too. But, and, and I think that's the, I, I, I totally agree with you about looking at your life through that lens and through that framework, but looking at, at your life through the lens of what's been con- traditionally con- considered as success and like normative success, you have, by that definition, you have been very successful. So what do you think has helped you most in becoming that sort that type of successful I think believing in myself first um, because there have been a lot of I think people like to a certain extent most of the time that I've been working with someone they they believe in me to some extent because I think when you meet me it's just very obvious like I have drive I have potential I have ambition but yes it is yes it is <laughs> oh thank you but I've never but I've I've always felt like there's a mismatch in terms of how much they believe in me and how much I believe in me I think a good example is when I was in high school I was in this college as this college prep program and a part of the a part of the a requirement of being in the program was that we apply early action to at least one school and so when I was deciding what school I was going to apply to, I literally just, I, at the time I wanted to be a writer or a journalist. And so I Googled, what's the number one college newspaper in the country? And then that's, and then the Yale Daily News popped up. And so that's, so I was like, all right, cool. I'll apply to Yale then. And like that, that's always how I've seen myself. I don't, like seeing limitations in myself and like if I what do I want I want to go I want to go to a school that has a really dope newspaper so that I can improve my writing skills oh that's Yale University okay cool like it didn't matter that it was Yale and didn't make it feel unattainable for me it's like oh this is something that I'm gonna do and so I applied and then I was talking to the counselor in the program and I was like yeah so do you think that I'm gonna get in 
And I was like, what do you think my chances are? And she was like, you know, you're a very strong applicant, but I also think that we shouldn't get our hopes up too much, you know? And I was like, all right, whatever. And and then I got in early action, you know? And so I just think, you know, what if I had asked her, do you think I should apply? Mm-hmm. You know, it was good that I didn't even ask her that, that I just applied. And then later was like, oh, what do you think about it? Just because I had been, because I was feeling nervous. And so there's just been a lot of things that I've applied for that, you know, people, even law school, law school is another example. Like I just, I knew that I wanted to go to a top three and nobody was going to tell me otherwise. Yeah. Like I even bought, my, <laughs> I'm so arrogant. I even like bought myself sweatshirts. Cause I was like, well, obviously I'm going to have these later. So why not buy them now? <laughs> I think a really bad day when I was a senior in college and I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy myself a law school sweatshirt. Cause I know I'm going to get in anyway. Uh, and just like having, having that kind of belief in yourself, I think is so important. But then also I've been really supported by a lot of really dope communities of color. Like at Yale, there was La Casa, which was this physical space um, dedicated to the Latinx community. And I would say like the people who are most involved were usually first gen, low income, children of immigrants, or like some combination of those, or immigrants themselves, some combination of those. And I, I think for the first time in my life, I felt the most seen by people than I had ever felt in my life. Um, and I felt like they understood my experiences and they just like would tell me all the time, like, oh, like Yvette, you're brilliant. Oh, Yvette, like you're really good at this. And and then I also saw that they were brilliant and that they were amazing and dynamic. And so it just having that kind of support helped me also like further strengthen the belief in myself. I love all that. Cause yeah, sadly, I feel like because in my life I've also experienced so much of that, like others telling me I wasn't going to get in. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to be able to do X and that we should have a backup plan and a backup to the backup. Mm-hmm. And so I don't I feel like that's a really common experience. And when figures of authority still tell me that, like it still really fucks with me. Mm-hmm. But at least like when peers tell me that specifically, like when white peers tell me that, which they really shouldn't be telling me this kind of stuff. But when they do. I've started responding like, so that's your reality and that's a limitation you have. It's not my own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just because, yeah, people do that so often. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, I feel like it's oftentimes like people projecting their own insecurities onto you. Like, it's like they, they're they trapped by their own ideas of their own limitations and they project that onto you. It's really unhealthy. Okay, so you're you're talking a lot about all these different processes, right? Like the process of believing in yourself. And I find that to be like such a radical act, especially for like a woman of color. Yes, yes. And I'm just wondering, like, from the first moment I met you, I knew you were a really like politicized person. And by that, I mean, like someone who's constantly in the process of wokeness. Mm -hmm. What's been the most influential thing to you in that process, whether it's something that like jumpstarted it or something that's really helped you? progress in it you know just what's what's been the most influential so I think like because we're always talking about how unlearning oppression is an everyday process you never get to a place where you're done unlearning because of how oppressive these structures are it's also appropriate that the answer is it was a process because it really was like I went to this all-girls private high school uh, Catholic high school and even though it was Catholic 
the values there were very liberal. I mean, it was in San Francisco, so kind of makes sense. It had like San Francisco values, even though it was a Catholic school. And like we would pray for an end to racism and sexism and homophobia in our homilies and (laughs) (laughs) which is cool that's so shocking to me yeah that's I know yeah a lot of people are surprised but that's like that's why I said it's like in San Francisco so I think it was it's influenced by local politics um and the and then also had like a very explicitly feminist stance and I wouldn't necessarily say it's intersectional but it, it was it was feminist and I think to have such a such an intentional curriculum and lens through which you do your work in high school and teaching high school girls. I think that itself is like a pretty, it's a pretty radical act. I, high school girls, I feel like are taught to devalue themselves. And for me to learn that it's like, I was in a setting where only women were leaders, you know, only women were getting Mm -hmm. the best grades. And so that it just, even just seeing that, I went into Yale being like, of course I can be a staff reporter on the Yale Daily News. Like, of course I can be a peer liaison with La Casa, you know? I just never doubted it. And I, I, I don't think that was true of everybody that was coming in, of, all, of all, every woman coming into Yale. And then when I was there, I took a lot of American studies classes that were also cross-listed with ethnicity, race, and migration, which I mentioned in our in our last episode. Uh, and that, that just helped me think about the history of the Latinx community, the revolutionary history of the Latinx community, this history of resistance helped me learn about queerness. And I think also, like, I just mentioned La Casa and like being in that space, that also politicized me because everyone there always talks about how, oh, the only reason that La Casa exists is because in the, in like, I forget what decade, but people had a sit-in in the president's office and they were like, we need a physical space. You need to give us one. And and then also like the first group of Latinx people that were accepted to Yale were Mexican and Puerto Rican. And they were like, this is unacceptable. We need to, there's so much diversity in our community. You need to accept other people as well as part of your affirmative action plan. And so I just realized like if it wasn't for the activism of those people, I literally wouldn't be at Yale. I'm a Salvadorian American woman. And if they hadn't changed that that like specific quota of Puerto Ricans and Mexicans being accepted or like that specific diversity pipeline, better said, then I wouldn't have been there. And th- that that politicized me too. Like, oh, I stand on the shoulders of other people, of other Latinx people that have done work to make life easier for me. And so I need to do the same for younger generations of Latinx people. And then... And that's why it's so important to know your history. Yes. You know, just, yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's really sad that like a person could go through Yale and have received all these benefits from these Latinx activists and never done anything about it or never known anything about it. But then finally, like when I was in law school, uh, I mean, like I'm like one of the only people who can say this, but in law school is when I became a prison abolitionist. Um, I, I think I just I came in a little naive, like a little optimistic about what about what the state can realistically provide people. And and I also, because most of my research had been focused on bilingual education, law and policy, I was working in things that like were considered civil rights. And I hadn't really grappled with the criminal justice system as deeply as I could have. And then seeing it all up close in my curriculum, I was horrified, horrified at the way in which, you know, dissent is repressed and just in the way in which we put people in cages. Yeah, just had a very strictly abolitionist stance coming out of that. And then, yeah, still unlearning every day, trying to figure out how to unlearn more. That reminds me of just how much I've benefited from you being a year ahead of me in law school, because like prison abolition, that's something I've 
believed in and would advocate for like an undergrad and during my two years off and people treated me like I was thinking of something completely that like was totally impossible that no one else was even bothering to talk about and then I came to law school and met you and you introduced me to prison abolition and it's like there's a term for this idea Mm -hmm. because it's a thing Mm -hmm. and yeah it just reminds me of how important you being a year ahead of me has helped has been for me oh thank you okay to wrap up I want to give you a chance to talk about you know who are the most important people to you I so I think there's two people that come to mind I think um, my cousin Steph is really important to me because she is basically like a sister to me and she always has my back. And I think we have this kind of this relationship that really is like sisterhood embodied and we support each other and love each other. And she just has my back all the time. And it, and just, it's like such a relief as a woman of color to have someone in your life who just like unabashedly has your back and is always going to have your back. And, and then I also just really admire her in terms of how she's been dealing with her mental health struggles and, and like growing up as an adult and going to college. I think she has a kind of strength and fierceness that I admire and it's such a joy to have her in my life and then also I'd say my partner Joseph is such an important person to me uh he you know he's also helped me think through some of these things about prison prison abolition and like abolishing the the carceral state and all of its facets in general and also has helped me stay politicized and he he helps me he like knows what my values are and he helps me make sure that I'm actually living them out you know like in I, when I was talking earlier about how I want to do things that actually genuinely bring me joy, like he questions all the time, like, oh, is what you're, is like, are you applying to this thing because it's going to bring you joy? Or, you know, and just having someone who knows what, how I want to live my life and someone who's like willing to hold me accountable in such a gentle and loving way um, has really helped me grow. And I don't know, and we just had so much fun, you know, I feel like it's like anytime like a, a woman of color experiences like true love and enjoy is a radical act. So I just, yeah, I love his presence in my life. Well, Yvette, thank you for sharing so much and being so honest and forthcoming, just everything. Thank you. Yeah, of course. That was fun. Switching the roles. Uh, I'm the interviewer. You're the interviewee. <laughs> um, I wanted to start off by asking what you're proudest of. So what I'm proudest of is having spoken, being like a student speaker at both of my graduations, for so for high school and for undergrad. And there's multiple reasons why that's what I'm proudest of. And in the first one and it's kind of petty and like I know that so I I know this is petty (laughs) but there's so many people who doubted I'd do well in high school who doubted I'd achieve what I was going to achieve in high school and I'm thinking specifically of like my high school counselor like he never wanted to put me in AP classes or in honors classes because he didn't think that was an appropriate space for me and and so you know just thinking about him and then 
and then in in college it was the same thing like there were there were people who didn't tell me i was gonna who told me i wasn't gonna get into the school at which i studied abroad because it was like one of the number two for what i was gonna study in all of the uk and he was just like you're not gonna you know you need a backup plan Mm. there were people who would have never imagined me at a top 20 small liberal arts college and so there were so many people who just never thought that was the space for me didn't believe i would be successful in it didn't think i would graduate both high school and undergrad and then to not only like graduate to not only be successful but then to be like the student like well, there was like two at undergrad and there was like four in high school. But to be one of those students mm-hmm. out of everyone else there, to me, was just it just vindicated so much for me where it's like not only did I succeed, but I killed it. Yeah. You know, so much that I'm the student speaker that during this graduation space, like they've allotted that for me. And so that and like, again, I know that's petty. So. The other reason, though, why I am super proud of those moments is because of what I was able to, like, how it impacted my parents and not just my parents, but my family, like, especially at my undergrad, during my undergrad graduation, seeing them, like, see me, it was just, (laughs) it meant so much. And, like, I'm tearing up right now because it's just, like, they were tearing up, you know, and Mm -hmm. they just couldn't, like, they could believe it, but they couldn't believe it, you know, and if it, you know, and also if it hadn't been for that moment during my graduation in undergrad, like that whole weekend could have also been really awkward because in so many ways that space would, was not welcoming to my family. Like I remember when my, my parents like met my, my professors who were mostly white men because I studied philosophy. Like I remember my professors kind of like leaning in like with on one side to like like listening more closely because like my mom has like broken English well I think her English is really good but people are constantly asking her like what did you say and then she'll repeat it and then they'll say it and it's she's just like that's exactly what I just said and so it's so frustrating and so when like my professors were also doing similar things like that made me feel so bad and uncomfortable Mm. and and just I needed that moment of like being the speaker, being the one celebrated because it was celebrating my family too. And it was recognizing and honoring all the work they've put in so that I could achieve that. All the sacrifices they made so that I could be there. That's so beautiful. So inspiring. And those are all amazing accomplishments. And you've also accomplished a lot of other things that you haven't talked about in in this interview. But I wanted to ask you how you did get to that place where you could be the student speaker at both graduations. Like what and also what in in terms of even getting to a top 20 liberal arts college in the first place, what do you think were the top three most helpful things in allowing you to get into undergrad and then also allowing you to thrive while you were there? Helping me get into undergrad, I think I'll be very honest. I I do well at like traditional measurements of success. So I I test well and I test consistent. So my like SAT scores and my ACT scores and other like standardized tests, like I do I I have done fairly well in them. Like they weren't super high, but they were high. And and so that like of course just made a difference for me. It helped me in a way that's really wasn't measuring anything other than my ability to take a a test quickly Mm -hmm. and so it was that it was I think it was also aligned with that like my grades like 
I love being in classrooms where I'm like reading and discussing and listening to other people's ideas. So just like the classroom setting, I do well in it. So my grades like have always reflected that I'm happy in those spaces when it's like a good teacher and like <laughs> all that. So so I think that was also served me was to my benefit. And then extracurriculars too, like I'm I just get really excited about the spaces I'm in and am really committed to them and want to make sure that I'm doing my part to make them their full make them reach their full potential. So that means like in high school I was very involved in extracurriculars like I like signing up for things and when I did I was committed to them and I showed up consistently and gave it my a lot of effort which meant that I was getting a lot out of it right so by showing up to these meetings and to these clubs I was learning so much about how how you lead and how do you interview and Mm -hmm. how do you speak and all these other things that translated not just onto like a resume but in those interviews and in it gave me something to write about in like personal statements and my essays. So I think those three things really helped me out. And um, something else I had that really made a huge difference with me is because like Spanish is my first language. And I think y'all can tell. <laughs> but so. Cynthia, sister- <laughs> why did you say that? <laughs> because I'm constantly like mispronouncing things and I just like. I can't get words out of my mouth sometimes. It's like, well, because it's English, (laughs) but... Whatever, language is a construct. I agree, I agree. And, okay, so my sister, the one I grew up with, she's six years older than me, so we both learned Spanish at home, but she had to go to school, and so by the time, like, I went into it, my parents knew a little bit about it, and she could help me, too, with my transition. And as soon as, like, and so as soon as I started learning to read... I started reading whatever she was reading. Mm -hmm. And so that meant like in third grade and fourth grade and fifth grade, I was reading what she was reading in high school. So like Lord of the Flies, Frankenstein, Lord of the Rings, like all of these books, like I was reading them. So like my vocabulary, my like reading comprehension just really benefited from that. And then when I got to high school, it helped me because I was reading all of these books for the second time. And having had like six years to marinate ideas, like that just you know it it really did help me so my older sister I benefited a lot from her struggle yeah and going back to like your test scores and your grades can you share a bit about how you like why you think you were good at doing those things um I think apart from natural ability there's also hard work so just so people can think about how they might be able to improve those things yeah I generally am really good at calming myself so like self-soothing so when I when I'm looking at a clock and seeing how much time I have left, if I see that I have 10 minutes for 15 questions, I'm really good about not spending any time worrying. Mm, mm-hmm. And I'm just like, OK, so 15 questions, 10 minutes, I should spend X amount of time. Great. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is really helpful, like being able to self-soothe myself and and keep going, because I think. I save a lot of time by doing that. Yeah. And these tests are a psychological game on top of testing knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that has made made a big difference. And then also just when I study, I also try to be thoughtful about how I study. Like I ask myself, what do I think I need to know before I just start studying? And I make a plan. And I think that also saves me time and lets me focus. 
you know, like if there's a chapter that we didn't spend time on or, you know, just the chapter book and the chapter is shorter, like I'm not going to spend as much time in it, you know, and I also know how I what helps me. So for me, vocabulary, like if I can understand the word and its meaning, like photosynthesis, then I can understand the process of it without having to like, like just by rooting it in the word itself and its meaning helps me understand everything. So I did that. I would focus a lot on like defining vocabulary instead of like defining processes. Like I would focus on the word and what the word means. Like why is, why is this word a thing? And so just like I knew myself, I knew how I learned. Yeah. Knowing how you process information is really important. And then also I just wanted to say quickly that Cynthia and I have had a lot of privileges in terms of, for example, like having the time to do extracurriculars after school and not needing to work to support our families. And I wanted to say like quick tip for people who are in those those positions where they can't do a lot of extracurriculars and do have do need to work a job after school in order to be able to to support their families like when you're applying to college re- mention that like write that yeah so that college is because you know hashtag capitalism like colleges just want to know that you're an industrious person who fills their time up with with um stuff other than leisure and so and then also like you can demonstrate leadership in the workplace right like there's there could be ways in which maybe you were promoted maybe you got a pay raise maybe you are like in charge of a project there's just like different ways that you can show leadership and it doesn't always need to be in, in terms of in the form of an extracurricular yeah and I would say not even if you like have to work but if you have to like take care of younger siblings yes yes like even that, like we we mean that too. Mention that, and I think that comes like Yvette from what you were talking about, about believing in yourself and valuing yourself. Like value yourself and your labor. If you're taking care of your siblings, value that you are. That is valuable. Yeah, you're a leader. You're responsible, and and you know, and then also like that just gives a college context and explains why maybe you didn't join band or sports. You know, there's a reason why, and then that makes you a stronger candidate, more interesting candidate. So we've talked about how you got into undergrad, what helped you survive undergrad, and also what helped you survive one L because there's a lot of hardships in both. And so, what kept you there? For undergrad, it's Posse. I've mentioned Posse before, and I am truly very grateful for Posse. It's a, pre, you know, they it includes a pre-collegiate collegiate training. And so like seven months before I was actually going to go to college, they were teaching me about college, like what to expect, like what was going to be different from high school, like specifically my school, like what was my school like, what were past Posse scholars experiences at my school And so I was getting all that information. So my so I was better prepared. And then also like we go in posses of 10. So there were nine other students from the Los Angeles area who I met for those seven months beforehand. And we were all from Los Angeles and we were all making the move to middle of nowhere, Iowa. Like literally Grinnell College is right smack in the middle of Iowa between a bunch of cornfields. And we all knew that. And (laughs) Oh, yeah. And but like having them there made that less rough, you know, because we could we could go to each other's rooms and like be like, I miss my elotero. And we could understand what that meant. Whereas like some people like had never even tried lime on their Doritos or Hot Cheetos. And I'm just (laughs) like, how have you not put lime on your chips? Basic. Yeah. Like I could complain to them like, 
this school only provides us limes for your water. Like they're not like the full <laughs> slices. It's like these thin slices. So we had to get like 20 of them in order to like season our food. And having them understand that experience and like appreciate made such a difference. Mm-hmm. And then also my parents, like and my family, they they just they supported me and they helped me reach my goals. Like one example is when I knew I was going to like when I was in the middle of an all nighter and it was like 3 a.m. and I had to be somewhere at 9 a.m. I would like text my dad because my parents have to get up really early for work, like at uh, 4 a.m. or 5 a.m., depending how long, how far they have to drive. And I would tell my dad, like, dad, call me at this time to make sure I'm awake. Like, I'm I'm scared I'm going to oversleep. And he would call me. And, he, like, if I was still sleeping, he'd call me multiple times. Like, mm. he wouldn't stop calling me until I woke up. And that that's key. That's crucial. I would have missed so many things if my dad and my mom hadn't done that for me. Yeah, that's real. Oh, and sorry. <laughs> Back to Posse. I also, Posse paid for my tuition. Well, Grinnell College paid for my tuition. So I didn't have to worry about debt. I had that mental space to focus on my extracurriculars and and do the things that I enjoyed because I wasn't worried. And I don't take that for granted. I know that made a huge difference. Yeah, also like hot tip. So these small liberal arts colleges uh, really want students of color, Latinx students, black students, because there aren't a lot, right? Like there aren't a lot of people. Well, actually, it's not true. I feel like Latinx people are everywhere now, but there's definitely less Latinx people in Iowa than there are in the, say, like the Bay Area or LA. And so they oftentimes have money to, you know, if it, even if it's not specifically through the Posse Foundation, they actually have a lot of scholarships that they will give you yes. because they really want you to go. So like, please don't count these places out. I know it seems like hard to go to Iowa but Cynthia went to Iowa and she survived you know she maybe even liked it at some point (laughs) so just like I did yeah see so don't don't be discouraged like definitely do your research small liberal arts colleges often it's in like places where there aren't a lot of students of color oftentimes like very very excited about giving people scholarships so look into that yeah small liberal arts colleges in general just will meet 100% of demonstrated need Mm. you know Mm -hmm. so it's you're you're hardly ever paying the sticker price yeah and yale is the same also if your parents make under sixty thousand, you go for free so i didn't have to pay tuition either all right so one l what kept you in law school <laughs> the debt the fact that <laughs> like Real i'm gonna need a fi- <laughs> i need a way to pay these two hundred twenty thousand dollars of debt and <laughs> well like if i had left my one l it'd be like what 75 yeah, i don't know can't do math yeah so that like the fuck how where am I gonna get that kind of money to pay that if I decide to quit like that's not an option Mm -hmm. but on a brighter side the promise of what I'll be able to do with a law degree so I am like a prison abolitionist I have a lot of ideas for how I would imagine like a better society and like that's so much better than what we have now and would be rid of all these institutions and structures that this one has because I think that's possible I don't the world constantly changes like there was not that long ago the U.S. didn't have a constitution like not that long ago like this world looked very differently so why can't we do that now like we can and I believe that so I want to work towards that but I'm also very it gets to me when folks critique idealists like myself, I would consider myself like an idealist when they say like, OK, so you're a prison abolitionist. Well, in the five years that you've been working for prison abolition and like advocating and however you've been doing that, like how many people have you helped? Because during those five years, I was a public defender and I helped X amount of people who are facing incarceration. I There's a lot of problems with that logic and that critique, but it gets to me like I I don't want to if someone asked me, like, what have you done? Like. 
I want to have a very concrete answer. Like, you know, I have been working towards these longer term goals, but yes, I've been there for people who needed me. Like when people had legal questions, when people were facing this, like I was there for them. I made a difference in their life and that's important for me. Yeah, that's dope. So looking back, what would you tell yourself as a freshman, as a senior in college or and as a 1L? I think that I would tell myself in a kind way to go to be critical of myself a little bit more. And by that, I mean, identify what my goals are. You know, like if I have to write them down, I write them down, but identify what they are and then really focus on why are they my goals? Why is that my goal? What's motivating me to achieve that? And if that answer is because it'll be a stepping stone to X or because it'll look good on my resume or because it'll make me powerful or it's prestigious, then those aren't answers by which I want to live my life. And so knowing that if I had done that at different points in my life, I would have made some different decisions, not too different because I think this society is, I feel like this society has limited, would have limited what I could do as a, as a Latina, a young Latina without something for them to find credible about me. And so that to me, I felt that's been very real to me, but I still would have wanted to be more intentional about why I was doing what I'm doing. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that ties back to what I was saying earlier about what I'm most proud of is actually being able to implement that kind of thinking myself. So I feel like it's really good to have people sit with that thought as we end. Listeners, please let us know if you enjoyed this. If you want more Chiquitasodes, please comment, email us, DM us, whatever platform you prefer. We're here to talk with you all. So thank you so much for listening to this cheeky episode. Bye everyone. Bye Bye, Yvette. (laughs) Bye Cynthia. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who it is, son?